everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the ever-young Jonathan Strickland. I'm going to be older by the next episode. And yet, forever young. Thank you. Is that a Neil Neil Diamond song? Not Neil Diamond, no, but it's okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Gosh. Uh, different, different singer, but that's totally fine. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I got my, my birthday coming up next week and, uh, uh, I'll, I'm taking vacation, but I will be still available to record if Ariel is next week. So we'll still do an episode assuming, you know, her availability remains the same. It should, you know, yeah. it's not 100%, but we plan on bringing you an episode next week. Yes. And even though I'm not working, (laughs) I mean, you know, this isn't work. This is fun. That's true. That's true. I, I, so I didn't realize it when I planned my vacation, I just said, Oh, I'm going to take the week of my birthday off. And then I looked at the calendar and realized that that ends up uh, running over into the 4th of July holiday for us. And we have the third (laughs) and the fourth off, which means I will have 11 straight days off work. And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Apart from Jeez catch Louise, up with all the sounds, geeky stuff. <laughs> that sounds delightful. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Do you want your uh, happy birthday isn't copyrighted anymore, is it? Uh, I think it's finally in the p- public domain, but no, you don't need to sing it to me. I'm, it's it's a little too early. Got to wait a couple more days. I know, yeah. but we, we won't be recording in a couple of days. That's, That's fine. okay. That's okay. Just wait till you hear how people are going to get in touch with me and then it'll all make sense. Okay, fine. Well, uh, let's move on then um, to <laughs> our 30 seconds or less. That sounds good. And I believe, Ariel, that you are going to launch us off this time. I am. All right. So this is a quick one. Uh, the second part of the Wicked movie that's coming out, because, of course, it's in two parts, was originally set to come out in Christmas of 2020 on Christmas of around Christmas of 2025. And now it's coming out on November 26, 2025. So instead of a Christmas movie, you get a Thanksgiving movie. Uh, that's after Wicked Part 1 comes out in 2024, also in November. That's hopefully 30 seconds. I guess it's something for us to be thankful for. Okay. The Spider-Man spinoff El Muerto about a wrestler who gains superpowers through a mystical mask is no longer on Sony's calendar. The Hollywood reporter chalks this up to another delay due to the writer's strike. Now it was supposed to come out January 12th, 2024. It's also supposed to star bad bunny, but if and when it gets back on track, he may no longer be available, and it's actually possible that El Muerto might just be plain old Muerto. We'll have to see. That's sad. I was kind of looking forward to that one. All right, so now I'm going to briefly talk about something that we haven't, we've only vaguely touched on on the episode just because the trial hasn't happened yet, but Jonathan Major's trial is set for August 6th, I believe. Um, where he's being charged with domestic abuse charges. Um, sorry, August 3rd. Uh, we haven't talked about it just because um, it, it hasn't gone to trial yet, so we don't have all the facts. Uh, of course, his side is saying that he's completely innocent and the, and the evidence will prove that. And of course, um, the charges say otherwise. So 
you know, we'll we'll see how that all turns out in the fallout that happens to Marvel. Yeah, yeah, this is that's probably going to play into one of the discussions we're going to have in our news section. But uh, before we get to that, of course, we've got some more 30 seconds or less. So here we go. Mike Flanagan, the guy who directed the film adaptation of Stephen King's Dr. Sleep, has had plans for a third film in the Shining trilogy. So Dr. Sleep was a sequel to The Shining, if you recall. And Flanagan's movie actually walked a tightrope between the novel and Stanley Kubrick's film version of that story. The prequel would have followed a young Dick Halloran. That's the cook who gives The Shining its name. But it sounds like that project got a big old fire axe to the chest. All right. Think, speaking of axing things, uh, we know that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery HBO has been offloading their TV shows to other streaming networks like Westworld to Roku and Tubi, which is free streaming with ads. Well, it looks like now they're making deals with Netflix as well. Uh, it's rumored that uh, the first title that might go over to Netflix will be Insecure, which is an HBO original, um, which means there's a chance you'll still be able to watch the shows you love even once HBO says they don't want to pay for them anymore. Here's hoping. And finally, Here's hoping. High School Musical, the musical, the series, has one more season, and then it's time to graduate. The fourth season will be the final bow for this meta series and will follow the cast as they interact with stars from the original High School Musical film as those characters reunite for a fictional reunion movie that doesn't actually exist. It's meta on meta on meta all up in here, and it sounds like it's just what I've been looking for. Yes, that was a reference to the original film. I'm surprised you're super familiar with the original film. I uh, watched it for a different show. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. You might've told me that before and I might've scrubbed it from my memory. Here's the thing. Uh, I used to host or co-host this other show called podcast without pretense. And we started watching movies to see how long we could pay attention to like a bad film before we gave in and brought in distractions like a second screen or whatever. And uh, and we chose High School Musical, not knowing that we would actually find it to be pretty darn entertaining. Like, I wouldn't say it's I would never call it a good movie, but it's a very entertaining movie in parts, uh, particularly uh, Sharpay. I love her. She's awful and I love her and she's precious and should be, you know, treasured forever. And I love her. I'm 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 surprised, but also delighted uh, the amount of times that my old roommate and I have sung that song at karaoke, complete the bop to the top with Sharpay and her brother uh, yeah. in karaoke with choreography is an, an, an embarrassing amount, which is to say more than one, maybe yeah. more and, than four. And what I've been looking for is another one of the songs that Sharpay and her brother sing together. And it's just super creepy because it sounds like it's a love song, but it's being sung by a brother and sister. And that's why I'm yeah. like. This is amazing. It's so wrong. And yet it's in a Disney movie. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting. Did you know one of the actors in High School, the musical's name was Corbin Blue? His stage name is Corbin Blue. I, I had heard that. And I know that. I, gosh, I wish I could. Yeah, remember I mean, he the does actress. stuff now still. But yeah, I, I wish I could rattle off the name of the actress who played Sharpay because uh, she's great. But she's also Ashley Tisdale. Uh, Ashley Tisdale. Oh. She's the voice. She's is, is it Ashley Tisdale? I'm pretty sure, but I'm just yeah. sad that I know so quickly. 
Well, she's she's also the voice of uh, of uh, Phineas's sister and Phineas and Ferb. And um, which is also great. I love that series, too. So it's just lots of uh, a big fan of her work, I'll say. Yeah, I mean, she's done a bunch of stuff. She's she's done a bunch of stuff. So it is fun. And I was right. It is Ashley Tisdale. Good. Well, speaking of yeah. a bunch of stuff, let's talk about the things what we have seen since the last time we convened. Uh, I got nothing. Oh, golly. Um, what have I watched <laughs> since the last time we convened? I'm still watching FUBAR. I finished up Ravening War. Um, I feel like there's something else. I'm like passively rewatching New Girl when I don't really want to watch something, but I want something on in the background. Got it. Um, which is hard because I really, I know you don't like, you're, you're not a big fan, fan of Zoe Deschanel, but uh, I love that show so much. <laughs> I think dumb. the reason, I think the reason I don't like Zoe Deschanel is that uh, a lot of the early work that I was exposed to was stuff that I just found like not likable at all. And it has no, it's no fault of hers, but rather mm. like, like I'm specifically thinking of 10 man. Do you, did you ever, see tin man tin man was that like a, a tv series yeah it was a mini series on sci-fi network and it was a uh reimagining of wizard of oz but kind of with steampunk alan cumming was in it as the scarecrow um and like there were a couple of other notable actors zoe deschanel was the dorothy stand-in and that show i wanted to like it so much i wanted it to be really cool and aesthetically pleasing and really interesting. And it was just not like it was not good. And I think I didn't even finish it. I think it was a three parter and I watched parts one and part two, and I just could not bring myself to watch part three. Cause it was, it just lost me. So uh, it's, it was such a huge swing and a miss. And I think that that, because that might've been one of my first, uh, uh, things I saw Zoe Deschanel in, I think that just kind of soured me. And again, not her fault, but, uh, but her character was just so like, like apathetic in that, that, and, and she just seems so like unmoved by any of the weird and wild stuff around her that I, I was like, this is, this is supposed to be something that's fantastical and magical, but the character is coming across as this extremely disaffected generation X type person. <laughs> I can't stand yeah. it. Yeah, and then she was kind of similar in Elf as well. Yeah, I didn't watch Tin Man. I was confusing it with another TV miniseries that was based off of Wizard of Oz, which was also not great. Um, that I can't remember the name wow, of Wow, I didn't know there were two of them. Oh, yeah, the other one wasn't sci-fi. It was, um, was kind of like Dorothy comes back many years later as an adult and a cop. Um, oh, wild like something like that sounds vaguely familiar but i i i didn't I think it watch was called it. emerald city okay yes it was called emerald city and it was super dark and there are parts of it i liked but it was just i don't know it was like if 10th kingdom tried to be gritty and it didn't quite hit for me yeah and 10th kingdom man that's a that's a movie or rather a mini series we should talk about at some time some point because that was a series that had some great ideas and some terrible ideas, and it, <laughs> it it created a whole mess of a series. Look, I loved it as a kid, and uh, like I had it recorded on VHS 
really crappily and I would watch through the parts that were all static because I loved it so much because it was like, <laughs> you know, mixing real world with the fantasy world is, is a fun idea. There are entire tabletops about it. There's an entire Dimension 20 campaign about it, you know, and Sleeping City and Changeling and all these other things. It's um it's a really fun concept to play with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, not all of it holds up super well. And also, the longer you go before watching it again, the more you realize that it is, in fact, a Hallmark miniseries. Because it is. <laughs> it just is. It, I mean, there's some dark stuff in 10th Kingdom. Like, <laughs> you have a wolf character who, I mean, well, let's not go in. We could have a whole episode yeah, yeah. just about yeah. 10th Kingdom. No, but, but now you understand, like, but I... No, knowing that I am intimately familiar, intimately is the wrong word. I am very familiar <laughs> with Tenth Kingdom. Um, like, and then I say that Emerald City is trying to be a gritty Tenth Kingdom. Like, yeah, that's it's. Gotcha. I'm not, yeah. Anyhow, well, uh, speaking of far too gritty, let's talk about uh, DC. Yeah. So uh, part of me thinks like some of the so some of our sources that we use for this show, like my frequent go-tos include the Hollywood reporter and variety. I go to those a lot. Right. And there are other ones too, that are more geek focused, like nerdist and things like that. But, uh, but both Hollywood reporter and variety seem to have a hate for the flash. Like it's not just enough that they are uh, reporting on the financial performance of the film but they almost seem to be taking delight in it. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting too much. Uh, but the story is that the Flash has not been a big box office success the way Warner Brothers Discovery was hoping for, and that it has received kind of a, a lackluster response, at least on the scale of superhero movies, being just slightly ahead of Black Adam, I believe. Um and and so it's just like it's it's kind of a, a punch to the gut, because obviously this was a movie that David Zaslov and James Gunn both were kind of cheerleading from the sidelines leading up to the release. Uh, but the reviews I've seen have been not negative, but more m- mediocre, more more like uh, modest in their praise of the film and perhaps uh, some people at least are holding back just because they like me have misgivings due to Ezra Miller's uh, troubled past. That, that was the thing that was kind of holding me back. So I think, yeah, I do think that's part of it. Um, There are a lot of people who, who don't want to support, you know, Ezra Miller or have misgivings. I, I know that we have a mutual friend who saw it, who had a really hard time divorcing the character from the actor. Um, And I say this as someone who has in the past, prior to everything, enjoyed Ezra Miller's performance as The Flash. Um, But also, so I I do think that that plays a big part of it. You know, they haven't allowed Ezra Miller to do a lot of or really do any marketing for this movie other than show up on the red carpet for the premiere. Um, And I but I also think another part of it is the people who were invested who maybe don't care about that also might be feeling less enticed to go because we only have like one and a half more movies coming out in this universe and then it's it's done and so they aren't as excited to see what happens next you know like part of going to see a marvel movie seems like half the time it's just waiting to see what they're going to set up for the next movie you know 
Yeah, which um, which has its own problems. But yeah, I see what you're saying. So like because this version of DC Cinematic Universe is coming to an end, uh, it, it the stakes are kind of gone because you're like, well, yeah, but these characters aren't going to be told the same way moving forward because we know that James, you know, this film existed before James Gunn came on to take over a co-leadership of DC. And so we know that the stuff that comes out after this year is going to be, you know, pretty much divorced from the stuff that came before with a couple of exceptions, like the Joker sequel, obviously is more like an Elseworlds yeah. kind of thing that's going to come up. And then the, whether or not we get it, but a, a sequel to the Batman would also be Elseworlds, which starts to make you wonder, okay, but, what isn't going to be Elseworlds? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything that comes out next year, I think even Peacekeeper is peace, Peacemaker, not Peacekeeper. That's Farscape. <laughs> Dang it. I didn't, I didn't edit myself before opening my mouth this time. Peacemaker is also going to be, I think Elseworlds because it's got the, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Amanda Waller follows through every universe. Um. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm sure Margot Robbie would come back for another Harley Quinn style film if the story were right. So that also, I mean, it's just messy. Like DC yeah. really, uh, really um, pooped the bed. If we're going to use a, a, a vulgar phrase when they set yeah. up this, this whole cinematic universe and it's, there's no easy way to, to address that without just like, scrapping everything and starting from scratch, which they are not going to do because they're already invested well, in these other projects. It is interesting though, because uh, the article on variety mentions blue beetle as one of the, you know, former DC properties and it did start getting developed prior, but at least in the trailers, I haven't seen any tie in to the Snyder DC EU. And so it's, a potential that instead of being in Elseworlds, it could be tied into the new gun universe, which is kind of what I hope. I hope Blue Beetle is super successful. It's like the thing I've been most excited about for a while from DC. Um, yeah, but also like, yeah, because I I don't want to see the Flash and get all excited for Michael Keaton coming into the DC universe and then not have him come into the DC universe, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of feel the same way about seeing Michael Keaton in a Spider-Man movie and being excited about him being in the Marvel universe and not seeing him get in the Marvel universe. Yeah. I mean, people do this with TV shows, too. Like, as soon as they hear their TV show is canceled, they're like, well, do I even bother finishing it? Because why why spend my time getting invested in this thing that's not going to complete out, you know? Which just makes, makes me also think of when we first heard about The Flash being included in the DCEU how people were upset that it wasn't the actor who was playing the flash in the television series. Yeah. If it was Grant Gustin, I would be a bazillion times more into it. And our mutual friend who saw the, saw the flash movie said that they thought that, uh, the Grant Gustin version of the story, because, uh, the CW has also done basically flashpoint was better. Hmm. Well, I, I'm sure at some point I will see this. The things I've heard, uh, like there's been some really positive stuff that I thought, oh, well, that sounds really neat. Other stuff like saying that the introduction of Supergirl does a disservice to the character uh, kind of disappoints me because I know how how incredibly excited that actress was to land that role. And it just hurts mm -hmm. me to know that 
like it was kind of mishandled and to think that this may be yeah. the one and only time she gets to do it. That's also kind of stinks, but um, yeah, this yeah. is a, I mean, I'm actually surprised. I thought the flash was going to be a much bigger success at the box office. And yet uh, unless, unless it just gets a resurgence, which seems unlikely due to the fact that a lot of the word of mouth is kind of middling, I think it's going to be another big miss for Warner brothers discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Speaking of big misses, Comic-Con might be a big miss this year. Yeah. At least if you are a fan of the uh, hall H presentations, that's the really big hall at San Diego comic-con where the, the giant studios like Disney will frequently book that hall for their giant presentations. Uh, sometimes they end up even uh, uh, messing up other people's presentations. I'll never forget when Kevin Smith found out that uh, the in the one before his, the the presenter invited the entire audience to go and see a, a, a secret pre-screening of a movie, which meant no one came to Kevin Smith's <laughs> panel because everyone left. But uh, but anyway, Traditionally, that's where we get these big, big announcements. That's where last year Marvel laid out their big plans for phases four, five, and six, and you know, announced all these different projects. And now Marvel is rumored to be well, not rumored, Marvel's skipping Hall H. They are not going to have a big presentation this year. And I think we have a few reasons we can guess as to why that is. Yeah, most most of the speculation is around the writer's strike and the possible SAG after strike and the possible DGA strike. <laughs> yeah, although DGA seems like that's not likely to happen, but SAG after certainly could. And we should know that probably by, well, maybe not this time next week, but pretty soon, yeah. because that's when the negotiations come to an end. Yeah, on June 30th, I believe. Now, I, I do want to make a quick aside here. Um, the SAG after strike is in a media blackout. So anything you hear right now is just speculation or rumor. Um, yeah. Which is yeah, why we don't so. we don't know one way or the other whether it's happening. But uh, or if we do know, we couldn't tell you. I, I'll just say it right now. I don't know. Ariel might because she's yeah. an actor, but I don't. I, um, I don't know. I did hear rumor. And again, this is rumor that that. AAMPA, is that it? Um, I should know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, they are only um, negotiating. The rumor is that they're only negotiating one contract at a time so that they won't be negotiating with WGA and SAG after it and the DGA all at the same time. Um, that, that's a rumor that's readily on the internet. That's not like inside knowledge. Um, but, you know, if that's true, it it's the, the article I read posited that it's a tactic and um, I don't particularly like it especially if they aren't like if they switch to like DGA before WGA, because I think DGA will get resolved quicker. Like that's just mean to the writers. So I hope that that's not true. Um. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing that could be uh, contributing to Marvel's decision, obviously is what Ariel mentioned before with Jonathan majors heading toward trial for the charges of domestic abuse uh, and domestic violence. And that. Uh, obviously is a just like with the Ezra Miller situation, it's an incredibly sensitive topic, one that does need to be addressed. And there are a lot of questions about whether Marvel is going to continue to 
employ Jonathan Majors because obviously he plays an important part in the next uh, next phase and and then well this phase and phase six because we're in phase five and uh, you know in phase six we're going to get the Kang Dynasty or at least that's supposed to be one of the two Avengers movies we get so it's possible that that also is is playing a part because with that up in the air the company may not have a strategy to move forward and wonder, you know, how do we pivot? Like, do we pivot? And if we do, what do we do? Do we recast the role? Do we just completely change uh, the, the path of the, of the phases and we just make a dramatic departure from what we had planned. That's possible, but we don't know. Yeah. Well, and like the, the article about Jonathan Major's uh, trial date, which uh, I just cited coming soon.net uh, says that his it's at his side that pushed for a a quick trial date. So like to to get the trial date as soon as possible. It makes me wonder if they're trying to get it in while they suspect the strike might still be going on so they can take care of all of this before productions will start ramping back up. But I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know either. I know that you know, it's a very delicate thing. And when you consider that Disney, of course, is the parent company to Marvel, uh, that adds even more pressure, right? Because you've got a a brand that is associated with being positive and family friendly. We all know that that's, you know, branding and that there are other elements of business that are not as happy and optimistic as that, but you still have to make a presentation. The optics are really important. So it's very possible that this will will uh, force a change that Marvel execs were not anticipating. It's on, honestly, the whole thing is so up in the air and complicating matters even further, obviously is that several of the more recent Marvel projects have not met with critical or audience acclaim. Like there's been mm-hmm. a, a general disappointment in many of the more recent Marvel projects uh, more in the movies than in the the series, I would say, but it's yeah. it's definitely in both, and that is something that Marvel needs to try and get a handle on because uh, it would be tough to come out to Hall H and have a bunch of announcements and no one really cares because you've kind of lost the audience. So maybe taking yeah. a year off will help them do that too. Maybe. Um, also, there's rumor that Universal and HBO may not show up as strong this year again for similar reasons. Um, so, yeah, sorry to the people who are going to Comic-Con. I haven't been to Comic-Con, so it doesn't um, super affect me. But obviously it does affect when we get news about geeky new things coming out. So we'll yeah, see how all of that goes. Again, it being a writer strike, it's not a huge surprise that we're getting uh, companies sort of pulling back on this because they honestly can't give realistic timelines of when stuff can come out. So I, I totally get it. Uh, but it is a bummer yeah. for the people who are going. But we can talk about something that's not a bummer. We can talk about an adaptation or not an adaptation, but rather a a a a, a play that is based off the behind an imagined behind the scenes environment of one of the greatest movies that has ever been made. Yes, I. Uh- and that movie is Jaws. So if you are ever wondering how to get Ariel to enjoy Jaws, it's by taking me to see this Broadway show. It's called The Shark is Bro- Broken. Uh, it, uh, I think it was written by Ian Shaw, who is 
Robert Shaw's son, who is the um, he's Quint, the guy. Yeah, yeah he, he's the um, one who's like, I'll find your fish for 2000, but I'll catch it and kill it for 10. Yeah, so he plays his dad. Ian plays his dad, Robert Shaw. He does in England, and I believe he's doing so again in in the U.S. Because now this show that started in the West End is getting a Broadway run, and they just announced who uh, who will be playing uh, Richard Dreyfus and Roy Schreider, the other people uh, involved in this, um, and Alex Brightman, who was Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice the Musical, the best Beetlejuice ever, uh, will be playing Richard Dreyfus and. Uh, Colin Donnell, who I know as Malcolm Merlin, not Malcolm, as Arrow's best friend in Arrow, <laughs> one of the Merlins. Is it Malcolm? There's Malcolm, his dad. I wouldn't know. I haven't. I I, I think I watched all of two episodes of Arrow. Now, now she's Googling. I am Googling. L- listen, you got to. Um, Tommy, he played Malcolm was his dad. I was right. OK, he plays Tom. He played Tommy Merlin in Arrow. Uh, we'll be playing Roy Schreider. Um, yeah, it looks delightful. At first, I thought it was a musical. I'm a little sad that it's not because I could just imagine the fun that would be had with that. But um, it looks like it would be a really fun, simple play to see. Yeah, it, it's supposed to be imagining what went on on the the Orca, which was the name of the boat that Quint uh, mans in jaws what went on on the orca between richard dreyfus and roy scheider and uh and and robert shaw when they weren't filming because i mean if you've ever heard the stories robert shaw was famously a very tough guy and uh kind of a a, a grouch and richard dreyfus ended up ha- being kind of intimidated by him a little bit or at least scared of him maybe not intimidated is the right word but uh, yeah. Uh, and also, I love that the title is The Shark is Broken because that's a play off The Shark is Working. That's mm-hmm. that's what the one of the documentaries about Jaws is called. And it was called that because it was so rare for the mechanical shark to work that when you heard The Shark is Working, you jumped to get everything going so that you could get some footage in before the shark broke again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um little side note, Ian Shaw, because I watched the trailer for this play on YouTube. And I thought at first that Ian Shaw was Michael Palin. Like, I was like, how is Mike and P- Michael Palin look so young in this play? <laughs> so well, old. Whereas when I, when I saw I haven't seen the trailer, I've just seen the a photograph of him. And uh, granted, it's from a distance. But the first glance I made was, holy cow, he looks a lot like his dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So uh, that's happy news. We're going to dip back a little bit into some more Disney sad news now. Um, Oh, I did tell uh, one of our friends who is a a movie buff about uh, the shark is broken and she immediately bought tickets to go to New York and see it like immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I once I didn't know about it till you put it in our lineup and I am debating on doing something similar because I mean, Jaws is at least in my top five favorite films of all time. It may be my favorite film. And, uh, and it just sounds like it would be a blast to see this play. So I am considering it. Yeah. Uh, we have a bunch more stuff to talk about and, uh, not a lot of time to talk about it. So let's jump back into some sad Disney news or 
mad Disney news? Bad Disney? I don't know. I will be curious for your take on it. So uh, the first episode of Secret Invasion dropped this week. That's with Nick Fury and the uh, scroll. Yeah, the scroll. Uh, you know, doing doing spy stuff on Earth, kind of. Um, it dropped on Disney Plus to mixed reviews. I haven't watched it yet. But something that has been getting a little bit of a negative review is the opening credits scene, because apparently Disney used AI to get like this foreboding, otherworldly sort of art style to it. And a bunch of people are mad that Disney used AI. Me, yeah. Personally? Uh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no. I want to hear what you have to say, because that's going to really affect how I approach this next bit. <laughs> Me personally, I think the timing of using AI for this intro is bad, where we've got a bunch of unions trying to um, get some protections around it. But mm. on just a on a purely like disaffected level, I think that AI is a fine tool for something like that. If you're going for a particular art style, like to me, AI art has a very particular, like slightly off art style, and they. And Disney says that they wanted that for like the shape shifting feel of the scroll and something's not right. And so like, I think using it as using it as a tool is not like innately wrong. Um, I just think the timing's really bad. Yeah, I OK, I'm on the same page that you're on. Uh, I, I might be a little more anti AI for artistic commercial purposes because, you know, there is a valid argument to make that there are people artists out there who could have generated uh incredible credits who you know because this went to a, a a marketing or an art firm that used ai meant that those artists didn't get a chance to get that gig and that kind of stinks uh, so i get their their point and also as you to your point ariel the fact that we're right now in an era where the use of AI is very much one of the, the sensitive talking points of these negotiations because exactly because of stuff like this, it, you did not read the room properly, Marvel, when mm -hmm. you, when you signed off on this, that being said, thematically, it makes so much sense in like it, it, it feeds into the actual story and narrative of the series so mm -hmm. as a storytelling component, it actually makes a lot of sense. So it's, it, I agree. I think the timing, if this had happened last year before these sort of negotiations were starting to heat up, I don't know that it would have been as big a deal. I think it's going to be a big deal from now moving forward because we've had so much conversation and concern about uh, AI being used in creative endeavors and potentially denying uh human creators the chance to do that work yeah so like i do agree with that i and i don't think and i think like a human could have made an equally interesting intro credit sequence possibly um you know by studying ai style and then recreating it but i also feel like like this is why iatsi's doing their whole study on it right of, of how to use this tool responsibly mm -hmm. because you know, I guess there could also be the argument for to get the, you know, I've I've gone to to cray.ai.n, you know, and and put in prompts to try to get weird art from an AI before and to get something that's correct and visually what you're looking for 
is like, it, it could be argued that that's an art in, in and of itself. Um, you know, it, it's just different. It's a different tool. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. I am 100% against AI that pulls and just adjusts other people's artwork, which a lot of AI things out there do. Um, and that's, that's not cool. They take other people's photographs and other people's artwork, and then they just tweak them. And I don't like that at all. Right, right. Yeah. The training portion of training up AI often involves feeding. In fact, it, it essentially always involves feeding lots of examples to the AI, which also means that you are uh, creating an artificial intelligence that is pulling from the styles of specific artists. And that does start to feel a little unfair, right? Uh, you, not that you would necessarily mistake an AI creation for the actual artist's creation, although that might happen, but you know, it's still not cool because the actual artist is the person you should be going to. Um, let's, let's carry on though. We've got a ton of other stuff to talk about. We got a trailer for an upcoming Sony Marvel film, uh, Craven the Hunter. And, uh, in our notes, Ariel indicated that she nearly quote unquote, noped out several times. So Ariel, why did you almost nope out of the Craven the Hunter trailer? Well, first of all, trailers lately have done this thing where they give you a couple of different, like really intense moments from the trailer at the beginning. And then they say, boom, starting the trailer, right? Yeah. It's a trailer for the trailer. In the trailer. Um, <laughs> and anyhow, the two seconds that they put into the trailer at the very beginning were one, uh, the Craven being surrounded by spiders, which to me is just like, nope, nope, nope. I don't like this. Uh, and then two, like breaking open a he dude's head with uh, a bear trap. Um, and then, yeah, and, I, and well, the reason why they had to have him surrounded by spiders is because they couldn't have him fighting Spider-Man. So this was as close as they could get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get into the actual trailer with backstory and, uh, I, I want to say Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think would play like, I think his acting is fine as a character in the trailer. Like I, yeah, I think he can play that kind of like whatever is needed to play Craven. However, the storyline is dumb. And then like, there was also like animal violence, which I don't like. And there was also, but it's a part of the story, right? So that's, that's just a legit part of Craven's backstory. Um, yeah. And then there's just so much like, we knew this was going to be, I think, R-rated, right? And it was going to be more violent. But it's just the level of violence, at least in the trailer, was just too much for me. Like, it was just too much. Yeah, I um, I didn't like the trailer at all. I, f I felt that it had serious Morbius vibes going on. Just yes. like, yes. it looks like it's going to be, to me, the equivalent of Morbius quality, which then made me wonder whether or not these characters who are Spider-Man villains if perhaps they're just not interesting enough to be able to carry their own story. And in this case, it looks like they're doing a little bit of a Maleficent for Craven because the comic book version is that he's just a big game hunter and he's bored of hunting animals because they're too easy. So he's decided to set his sights on Spider-Man because Spider-Man will present a real challenge. That's it. That's Craven's yeah. motivation. But in this one, it looks like he, his father's the big game hunter that, that Craven ends up being uh, more 
compassionate toward animals at least, or that he seems to be at the very outset. Uh, but then he just goes all murder hobo on, on everybody around him. <laughs> don't know why, yeah. don't understand what the plot is, but I also didn't think it made much sense for him to get a drop of lion blood mixed in with yeah. his blood and that gave him that- suddenly powers. <laughs> That was the, that was like the, the biggest, the biggest. So now he's like sympathetic to animals or can talk to them. He's freaking Dr. Doolittle. I don't know. Um, <laughs> or at least knows their weaknesses super powerly. Yeah. That blood drop moment was the thing that was like, oh my God, this is just Morbius with lions. Yeah. And well, um, and, and in the comics, like Craven does have a, like a, a serum that he's made by extracting various, uh, components from animals so that is part of his story in that he's got this stuff that makes him faster and stronger than your typical human because he was somehow able to distill these things in animals that gave humans that ability but that that's a little more involved than just having a lion bleed on you yeah yeah anyhow um uh i will probably i still haven't seen morbius like go me that is that is one one superhero movie i haven't watched um, and I don't plan to, and I don't think I'm going to plan on watching. I really like Aaron Taylor Johnson, but I'm not going to watch Craven. I don't think unless the next trailer really kind of changes its tune. It's it's also um, kind of funny before we move on. I just want to mention Russell Crowe plays Craven's dad, which means that Russell Crowe is both Zeus and Craven's dad in the nebulous Marvel universe. Keeping in mind that Sony is kind of like a universe over, but it's still connected to Marvel. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Speaking of nebulous, you put a trailer in for this movie called Three Body Problem, and it looks really cool. But at least on uh, double speed, I could not tell what the story was about. Well, that that's understandable. It's based off a series of novels from a Chinese author. And in those stories, there are kind of three narratives that are playing out. And one of them takes place in the past. One of them takes place in the novel's present. And one of them is sort of a flash forward look into the future. And so the trailer we get mirrors that where you get elements where it's stuff that's happening in the past, stuff that's happening right now and stuff that happens in the future. The problem is with the trailer, it doesn't communicate that at all. So it just leaves you to kind of wonder how can all these different images that you're watching fit in the same story. But that's because, again, it comes from this very complex series of books that uh, that are, you know, they're science fiction books. They have elements of uh, extraterrestrial type stuff in them. They have elements of climate change in them. They have an incredibly nihilistic character who essentially decides that the human race has had a good run, but it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> so uh, I thought the trailer looked really visually interesting. Uh, I have not read the books. I know that the English translation of the books rearranges the story somewhat in order to make it perhaps a little more accessible to English Mm -hmm. readers. And that there are a lot of footnotes as well to try and explain uh, uh, things that are of cultural significance in China that your average person outside of China would be unaware of and therefore it wouldn't mean anything to you. So uh, I know that the author really did work in a lot of things that are culturally significant in China as well, which makes this kind of interesting to me. Yeah, super cool. I I I am interested in it. I 
I appreciate you explaining it a little bit because yeah, the trailer just just looked cool to me. Like that was it, right? Totally, yeah, totally, this, yeah. This could be fun. Uh, something else that looks cool to me, and I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high, is the Netflix series version, live action version of Avatar: The Last Airbender. We got a teeny tiny teaser trailer and also some first looks at the characters, and it looks good to me. Yeah, they look they look appropriate for the character designs that were in the original animated series. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously, this series is going to have a lot of work to do to try and erase the memory and bad will <laughs> from the M. Night Shyamalan adaptation, yeah. live action adaptation, which I think was universally panned. I don't know of anyone who actually liked that version. Uh, I want to say it- my partner... I, I can't, I think my partner actually went to see it and, and is still holding a grudge about it. (laughs) Like it, it wasn't good. It, it wasn't, first of all, I really enjoy Avatar The Last Airbender. I feel like that's a high bar to meet Mm -hmm. because the cartoon is just so good. Like it's really enjoyable to me. The, the M. Night Shyamalan movie was whatever. Like maybe slightly better than the uh, the old Wayans D and D movie, um, but not good. Yeah, so I really hope this is better. Yeah, me too. Uh, both for the fans and you know for for potential new fans. Like I I never got into the series. I watched a couple of episodes, but like you know me, like some th- sometimes things just don't hook me, and this was one of those. So again, my partner loves it. She just thinks yeah. it's amazing and, and has, she she devoured the whole series. She didn't watch Legend of Korra, though. Uh, I tried to watch a few episodes and just maybe I just didn't go far enough. Kind of like how I mean, some people say that's the same with me and Doctor Who, although I did get all the way to Matt Smith and I still was like, this is still not doing anything for me. You, you uh, went far enough. You went far enough. <laughs> so like yeah. you may not have found your doctor, but you went far enough. Yeah, I, I was like, listen, I, I, I went to one end of the universe and back and it just hasn't grabbed me. It's just not my thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I really hope it's great, too, because I think the fans deserve it. I think. Uh, It's clear that the people who are working on the project have put a lot of work into it from a technical standpoint. And I can only hope that when we get to see actual performances, like in a real, either in a real trailer or when the series comes out, that it reflects all that love and hard work and that uh, ends up being a great piece of entertainment. Me too. Uh, Speaking of outer space, have you watched Solar Opposites? I didn't even know that this was a show until I just happened to come across the story. The story being uh, Solar Opposites is a a, a, a animated show. Uh, It's about these aliens who were escaping their home planet, like a hundred aliens who were escaping their home planet that was being destroyed. And uh, one couple ends up landing on earth uh, and it's it's uh, one of them loves earth and the other one hates earth. And it's been going on for three seasons. And now we know that season four is going to have a big change in it because one of the voice actors who was voicing a character and this was Justin Roiland, who obviously has uh, been undergoing quite the change in career because he got um, accused of domestic abuse. And as a result, mm-hmm. a lot of projects that had been connected to him severed ties with him. And so now uh, his voice has been recast and um, they even released a short section and, and kind of serving as a trailer for the next season where they 
just call out the fact that his voice is different now. <laughs> yeah. So I also didn't know this was a show until an ep- uh, the mo- the well, today a new episode of I'm Actually comes out, but the last episode of I'm Actually came out when they talked about it. Uh, like it, I, I maybe seen the name, but I it never pinged my my radar as something to watch. But yeah, I like in this clip they they essentially uh, stab Justin Roiland's character in the throat and then heal it. And when they heal it, his voice is different. And they're like, is he going to sound like this always? And yeah, the answer is probably yes. Um, yeah. yeah this, <laughs> so I this, think that's clever. Yeah. It's an example of what's called lamp shading where, you know, there's something that the, the writers know the audience is going to pick up on and that it, if they don't address it, then it's going to just be hanging over the series so they just call attention to it and then that kind of excuses it. So if you think of it, there's another great example in the uh, first Austin Powers movie where they're talking about, or maybe it's the second one, but they're talking about time travel and they say, uh, don't think about it too much is my, is my advice. And that goes for you too. And the character's looking right in the camera and then Mike Myers turns to the camera and says, yes, it's for the best, which is, you know, lampshading saying like, yes, we know this doesn't make sense. Just go with it. Uh, it's it's the kind of same thing with this this little bit. And I thought it was I thought it was funny as long as they don't do it too much. Um, don't don't go all Futurama post cancellation, in other words, because that show just kept on going on and on about how Fox canceled them. And I was like, OK, we get it. Go now. Get away from that. Just tell your stories. One and done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lampshading can be fun. I know they also did it when they changed actresses uh, to play Becky in Roseanne way back when. Yes. Um, and then kind of called back to it again in the Connors uh, now. Um, so it can be it can be fun if it's done well, because, you know, everybody's already thinking it. Right. Everybody's like, well, this has changed. How do I how do I move on? And they're like, OK, we'll just say it's changed. Move on. Um, yeah. Something else that's changed, I would say. Uh, so we we have a trailer for a a movie called The Beanie Bubble, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a film that's an adaptation, kind of a fictional telling of the incredible rise of popularity of Beanie Babies and how that made the creators very wealthy, and then all the scandal that was happening behind the scenes while people were blissfully unaware. Uh, there's a movie coming out and it has Zach Galifianakis and Elizabeth Banks in it. And uh, Zach Galifianakis is unrecognizable because he's clean shaven. Yeah, yeah uh, it's like, really interesting. Uh, and he didn't even really sound that much like the way I associate Zach Galifianakis sounding. So when I'm watching it, I'm like, am I, is that him? Is that I? Yeah. I I mean, I've never seen his face because it's always been behind a beard. But no, the thing that I thought was funny is that the trailer, which is about the creators of Beanie Babies, has absolutely zero Beanie Babies in it. I don't know. There's footage of the the truck crashing because back when Beanie Babies were a big thing, there was a big truck crash and Beanie Babies went all over the interstate and then people went crazy and tried to get them. Am I remembering that correctly? You are remembering that correctly. Yeah, Beanie Babies okay. became a collector craze and people would like trample each other in order to try and get hold of them because... You know, like some of them would be limited runs or there would be a run of a certain Beanie Baby, but a defect was discovered and then they would uh, stop that and then work in a new line of that character, which meant that the old version would suddenly become really valuable to collectors. But uh, the reason why there are no so that crash, it just shows it's it's the little cat 
stuffed animals that they show. And the reason they did that is because while they had the rights to use the creator of Beanie Babies, they did not have the intellectual property rights of the actual Beanie Babies. So they could not include any real Beanie Babies in their film. And they just made this little stuffed cat to be a stand in, but it's still called the Beanie Bubble. That's that's interesting. Uh, other fun fact, it filmed in Georgia uh, and uh, some of the scenes were filmed like two minutes down the road from my house. So. So you probably passed you probably passed out Galifianakis and never knew it because he was clean shaven. Uh, I mean, maybe it, it could have also like it filmed in a, an office park near my house. So like you have to go up the driveway to get into the office park. So I may have never seen him also. Maybe like if it if they had crafty there um, and then they took cars in and out of the location, like if he never left the location, then um, I wouldn't have seen him. Cause I don't go up into that office park, uh, <laughs> but still fun. I would like, when I heard about that, I'm like, is that, is that a code name for another show or movie? But no, it's not. It was called the beanie bubble. Yeah. It's, um, actually, it's actually based off a book that was sort of a tell all about the bad behavior of the creators of Beanie Babies and, and sort of how they turned on each other. And that like, it's, it's one of those stories where, because, you know, people hit success dramatically and suddenly it changes them in a way, or maybe it brings out something in them that you didn't know was there. And it's kind of one of those stories. And I just added it on here because I mean, like I would, I remember the Beanie Baby craze. Cause obviously like that happened back in the nineties and I was, uh, uh, a teenager turning into a young adult in the nineties. And so uh, it, it's, to me, it was just one of those things. I was like, wow. Uh, also it's another example of a brand getting a film. We've got uh, several of those. Now we had Nike, we had uh, Cheetos, like the flaming hot mm-hmm. Cheetos story. And now we've yeah. and Barbie and now we got beanie babies. Yep. Cause everything old is new again. Uh, speaking of, and we're going to have to do this one real quick, Jonathan, uh, you put in a scary movie, which is it looks like a generic, scary, like Bloody Mary type movie, but it is geeky because it has Robert England in it. Yes, Robert England and uh, Bill Mosley, who was in to all of like Rob Zombie's horror movies. Yeah, oh. he's he's been in those. But anyway, yeah, it's called Natty Knox, uh, and it's about a, a this ghost like character and kind of like Bloody Mary, except uh, like the story is that Natty knocks. And when she knocks, she knocks nine times and don't answer the door because Natty will get you. And it's weird because the trailer looks like it mixes uh supernatural horror with like slasher horror. Cause there looks like there's a, like a serial killer type character possibly as well. It's also the trailers presented in a kind of grindhouse, uh grainy film, filter and i don't know if the whole movie is like that or if they just did that for the trailer yeah yeah me neither i i really don't have much to to say about this i don't like this kind of movie um there's a kind of horror movie i I had to put it in because we always end with a horror movie trailer (laughs) um i you know you say that we used to not and we still don't have to but you keep doing it to me jonathan (laughs) i don't want to break the streak Look, it's not like this is we didn't build the show going, hey, let's always end with a a horror trailer. Um, No, this is the kind of horror movie that I watched in fifth grade that scared the schnookers out of me and made me hate horror movies. So I do like Robert England, though. He's a very nice guy. At least the times that I've met him, he's been very like kind and generous. So. There's that. Okay, well, and that's it for our news. 
Yeah. Okay, Jonathan, tell us how people should contact us if they want to reach out and share their thoughts on any of the things we've talked about today. Well, you're going to have to go across town to that old abandoned Shoney's. You know, the one that hasn't been open for years now. And you'll notice that the lights are actually on and that if you walk up to the door, it's open. And if you go in and sit down, someone actually comes up and kind of translucent. And they're asking you for your order and you need to order yourself a big boy burger. And then when they come out, you have to mention, oh, by the way, it's Jonathan's birthday today. And then the the entire ghostly restaurant has to go and sing all of happy birthday to you with my name in it. And at the very end of that, they'll come back. They'll give you a little doggy bag and your check. Turns out you don't need to pay. Ghost burgers don't cost anything. And as you leave, you'll see a shadowy figure in the parking lot. And then as you approach the shadowy figure, I'll jump out of another shadow and punch that shadowy figure and say, what's your question? And then you just tell me. Super interesting, especially if you want some ghost burgers. Gotta love them ghost burgers. Uh, <laughs> if you're lazy like me and you want to contact us in a much easier way, you can reach out to us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook and Discord. We are Large Nerd Drunk Collider. And on Twitter, we're LNC underscore podcast. You can also email us at largenerdrumpod at gmail.com. All of our show notes are kept at www.largenerdrumcollider.com. And I have started being a smarty pants and changing the discord invite link to never expires. So you should be able to go on to our most recent post at any time and click if you want to join the discord uh, to, to chat about movies and books and things like that. Um, and yeah, we appreciate you all for listening and just being for who you, and we appreciate you for being who you are. That is what I meant to say. And until next time, I am Ariel Jonathan. You cannot escape your birthday song forever, Caston. And I am Jonathan. I ain't craving the craven, Strickland. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com. 